Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio as we prepare to go into yet another weekend without really knowing whether the Prime Minister is actually staying or whether he's actually going. Uh, it would appear that he probably is staying for the near future at the very least. Every sinew of the government has been primed to ensure that the Sue Gray report is buried in the long grass for as long as physically possible. And here at Talk Radio, we are sworn to only bring you news about it uh, when there actually is some. This morning, though, it looks as though the police are now colluding in the cover-up as well. They've told civil servants they don't want even to know where the parties went on uh, or not because it might make it too hard for them to do their job of policing the parties that they didn't think were worth policing in the first place. Are you following me? It's not very easy, is it? Uh, It's all a bit confusing and we are going to try and get through the entire show today without actually mentioning the name of the Prime Minister. See what I did there? I haven't named him. I'm not going to name him until something breaks, until something happens, until we are actually told that there is something afoot and there is some development we will bring his name in. But until that time, there isn't really any point. Loads of people this week have been saying, why are you talking about it? Why don't you just move on? Because it doesn't actually matter uh, that the person running the country might have told an absolute tissue of lies. It doesn't really matter uh, that he's been completely and utterly uh, inconsequential when it comes to actual policy. It doesn't really matter that whatever he does in Parliament uh, doesn't really bear any resemblance to the truth. It doesn't matter. Just let him get on with it. Just let him lie his way to the future. Just let him tell a load of tales out of school that nobody really does bother to check up on. Huh? Okay, then. That's fine. As long as you're happy... I'm happy. Richard Tice is here. Uh, He's going to be telling us why it matters, actually, what is going on. Uh, We'll also be talking about tax. We'll also be talking about working from home. We'll also be talking about the COVID restrictions, which have miraculously been raised. Um, And nobody really seems bothered anymore about COVID, do they? I mean, do you remember COVID? Do you remember that? I mean, it was only a couple of weeks ago that we were told it was a deadly disease. Apparently now it's not a problem. <laughs> uh, we've got lots going on, of course. We're going to be talking to Christopher Snowden about all of that, uh, how the economy is going to bounce back, how you can get tax if you don't uh, tax if you don't actually work from home or if you do work from home. It's getting a bit busier in town, but of course Friday today, so nobody's coming in because now uh, Friday is the new bunk off day. Just don't bother working. Don't do anything. The economy is literally grinding to a halt. I kid you not. 0344 499 1000. We've got lots of other things going on. Uh, We will tell you all about them as we go forward. Uh, You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Uh, Richard Tice is here. Very good morning to you. A very good morning to you, Mike. You're looking younger. How is that? What's going on with that? Who knows? I don't know. Maybe it's just the fact that it's Friday. Could be. The end of another week, Mike, of madness, where you're beginning to wonder... Sort of, what are the most important yeah. things? And my concern here, you know, following your intro, is that 
I wonder whether actually the real people, the reason that many people have sort of moved on from Partygate and, and the Prime Minister has done a good job of ensuring it gets kicked down the road mm. is because people are much more focused on the bills that are landing on, on all of our doorsteps. Yes. The utility bills, the tax bills that's coming down uh, the pipe and, and so on. And these are the things that actually makes a difference as to what you know the the quality of life mm. that people can enjoy. Whether you're literally faced with the decision, are you going to heat or are you going to eat? And uh, I think there's some there's some really big decisions that this government and this prime minister essentially are delaying. Some common sense decisions uh, because they've been so consumed mm. by this party gate. And maybe I, that's the reason that actually the public realise. Look, come on, folks. The party gate is irritating. It annoyed everybody massively and still does. Mm. But we want some decisions on these critical issues. But here's the reason, Mike, why it does actually matter. And that is that on the international stage, we've got a, a ruling party that seems to, uh, seems to accept that it's OK for this great country, a member of the G7, to have a proven compulsive liar mm. as the head of the country, right. as the Prime Minister. And not only do most people in this country realise it, whether or not you're pro or for Boris, sorry, I've, 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 I've breached you the rule, that's a shocker. Technically not... speaking, it's only a yellow card. It's, it's a yellow card. Name. We'll try but, better. But, but here's the thing, but, but not, not only that, but it's like a virtue. The fact that he tells lies apparently is seen as a strength. Which it's, it's absolutely which not. Which is a bit and, odd, isn't it? And not only is it people in this country, but on the international stage people can see that this country is led by a party that is willing to accept a leader that is a, a, someone who just has a very, very tenuous relationship with the truth. Uh, at the best, it's like a sort of a, a string of cotton that can snap at any particular moment. Mm. And I just don't think it's good enough for this country. No. I really don't. I, we're, we're better than that. Well, the thing that I would ask, and, and I would put this to everybody who has been on this week saying, why are you going on about it? Why don't you move on? Why don't you just you know, talk about the important things? Well, because it's all the same. The important things, which are the migrant crisis, which is still going on, you know, the tax rises, which are still, as far as I know, uh, about to happen in April, you know, the NHS crisis, which is still going on, which nobody's fixing, all of the things that have been a problem and all of the things that Conservatives are asking about why we're not doing them with the Conservative government, it's all connected. You know, if you really think that the man whose name shall not be mentioned is going to be successful and he's going to get through this party gate, what do you think he's going to do next? What do you think he's going to do next year? It's hard to know, but the real danger for us as a country, as a nation, is when you hear words from the Prime Minister or from other ministers, almost about anything, mm. they sound good and, and you want to believe them, but then you know that actually, well, can I believe them? Because do they ever deliver on any of this stuff? Yeah. I mean, you touched on, quite rightly, the issue of uh, the migrant crisis. Yeah. And in the first month of this year, I think it's something like four times the number of illegal crossings from January last year. Yeah. You know, that, is, that sets a trend of over 100,000 potentially this year. Now, I've been forecasting over fifty to 60,000 people coming across the channel. And again, you know, this is something that needs to be dealt with. Needs and it's to something be stopped. that everyone cares some, about. Everybody cares about it. It's really important. It requires some big, brave, bold decisions. Mm. But this government is incapable of doing that. It just talks warm words, but never 
you know, does it actually deliver on anything? But that's the, that's the other thing. I mean, let's actually look at how this government performs, whether it's, uh, you know, worth its weight in gold, whether in fact it's fit for purpose. And the answer to all of those questions is, quite frankly, it's not. You know, it governs by kind of crisis management. Whenever something sort of jumps up in front of them, they go, oh, Christ, better but, get that fixed. And then they move on to the next crisis. But Mike, let's be optimistic. Actually, there's no reason why this government can't perform. There are some competent people there. Mm. And I think some of them do actually believe what they're trying to do. And so you have to say, come on, guys, you're talking about it. You've got a massive majority. Do these things. Yeah. You know, actually, the state of the government's finances is much better than they, they give it credit for. The government can easily afford to cut taxes to go for growth. But for some reason, it doesn't. Uh, so it can easily afford that. It can easily uh, stand up to the EU bullies and say, we are going to invoke the Article 16 protocol in a couple of weeks mm. unless you properly change uh, the way right. that it's working. And so they can do that. They could easily say to France, we're going uh, to bring the uh, the illegal migrants, we're going to bring them back to Dunkirk yeah. and to Calais. Right. And yes, the French will get a bit grumpy, but they don't have the courage to do this stuff. And I think most people would say, come on, you can do it. You've got a big majority. The country voted you in. The country wants you to get some of this stuff yeah. done. And I'm, I'm going to talk about it a lot on Sunday, Mike. But we have this huge pile of treasure mm. under our feet. It's called shale gas. Yeah. And if we use that treasure, then we can slash our gas bills. We don't need to worry about raising taxes. Be, we can cut taxes. We don't have to be reliant upon a foreign gas or foreign electricity or foreign companies or Vladimir Putin to provide us with enough heat to keep us warm over the course of the winter. It seems to me that they don't really do anything until they absolutely have to. It's like, you know, it's a minute to midnight and they go, oh, we better do something because uh, otherwise it's all going to fall down around our ears. They seem to have no policies at all. And I'm sorry to turn this into a massive attack on the man who shouldn't be named. But, you know, I'm sick to death of all these people who go, but he's great. Well, how is he great? What's great about him, exactly? He's a great salesman. He's a good orator. Yeah, but there's nothing in the in the back of the uh, of the shop. You know, it's like he's running one of those mafia fronts, you know, where... <laughs> well, as, as we all know, with good salesmen, that's very often well, the case. Well, exactly, you know, yeah, you hire they a shop... promise and deliver. Hire a shop front, get somebody to sign a piece of paper and go, yeah, we'll send it round uh, as soon as you get home. And then they move the shop. Exactly. But, but I do want to try and be optimistic because... We can do this stuff. We can make these decisions. And and yet they don't. And it's that sort of constant. Is it because is it because they're being held up by the civil service or is it because actually they're permanently jockeying for position uh, and, and power and favour with uh, the prime minister? Sometimes it's, it's hard to tell. But I, I, I get a sense and I've really noticed this over the last couple of weeks in a new year new mood, come on, let's let, let let's move on. Mm. And as you quite rightly said, COVID, mercifully, we are now in the sort of the endemic stage. I think the vast majority of people realise that we're learning to live with it quite successfully yeah. as a people. We're viewing it as a, in a sense, it's another form of flu. And for some, it can be very nasty. And for others, it can be incredibly mild. You barely know you've had it. But we've got to learn to live with it. And... And people just want to move on, get on with their lives. Mm. But equally, people want to be led by a government that will make some some proper you know, leading decisions 
that make common yeah, sense. But that's the point. If it's, it's all very well for you to say, move on, let's forget about it, let's just put it behind us and go, look, everybody broke the rule to some extent, one way or the other. We're not really requiring a police investigation that goes on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And this morning, of course, the police have come out and said, and that's the sort of breaking news that we will bring you, uh, they don't want too much detail on the parties in Sue Gray's report. You're kind of going, sorry. <laughs> That's what the report's about, isn't it? So if it's not about the parties, what is it about then? It is remarkable. And you, you end up thinking, well, maybe the reason that they're not making these big decisions is because they're so consumed with finding ways to kick the can down the road. Right. And it is, of course, very convenient that the Met Police appear to have said uh, in the report, uh, please don't talk too much about what went on in number 10. You can. It appears they're saying, uh, we don't mind how much you talk about what went on in, in some of the other departments but not what went on in number 10. And mm. you think, well, that may be very convenient to the Prime Minister indeed. And you really think... The, the cynic in one could say, well, is this, uh, is this Cressida Dick, mm. the Met Police Commissioner, uh, repaying Boris a favour because he extended her contract by a couple of years, yeah. describing her in, in brilliantly glowing terms as <laughs> the continuity candidate. Yes. Hardly a ringing endorsement. Well, not really, it? is it? And I mean, we're reading this morning that it could be months now before we even see the, the, the Sue Gray report, never mind the police report. And so I can't help but think that this is an orchestrated uh, effort by Downing Street to keep it all under wraps, well, just to keep it going for as long as possible, telescopic uh, um, sort of, you know, futuring and make, looking down the wrong end of the telescope so it looks further and further away. And, and by that time, everyone will have forgotten about it. I it's, think it's terribly cynical and very insulting to the public. It's, it's, it's very convenient for Number 10 and for the Prime Minister. And there was a very interesting article overnight in The Telegraph mm. by Fraser Nelson, and he's incredibly well connected. Yeah, He is clear that there is still real danger out there. Mm. He is. He appears to be very certain that there are well over 54 MPs who want to submit letters. They're just biding their time. Yes. So this is essentially just kicked down the road, and it's hard to know uh, when that is. Uh, when Sue Gray releases her report, there are suggestions that she wants to release it in full, and she may not be very happy with this. Uh, this intervention from the Met Police. Who knows? What we do know about the Met Police is the other important thing that came out this morning, uh, I think from figures just released yesterday, is that uh, not only the Met Police, but the police across the whole country, just 6% now, 6% of crimes end up with someone being charged. Yeah, we talked about this yesterday. Incredible, isn't it? Not convicted, but charged. I know. So that has collapsed in five years from 15% down to just 6%. Mm. And I find that actually really shocking. I mean, It's troubling, is, isn't it? It's deep. I would have thought, if you asked any sensible person on the street, what percentage of crimes would you hope would end up in a charge? Mm. I think instinctively people might say, oh, maybe 50%. Yeah. Surely that's a sensible, bold, ambitious target to yeah. go for. 6%? I mean, this is... It's, it's, it's almost like a lawless state where there's almost no point, uh, in a sense, reporting... A, a crime such no. as a robbery or a burglary or mugging because you know that actually it's just a whole bunch of paperwork 
and they're not going to do anything because they're too busy finding yeah. people sitting and on a park bench. And what are they bench. actually doing? I mean, Lord Frost has written The Sun today, hand back control. And Lord Frost, I think, has turned out to be a very substantial figure, having left the government because it's not conservative enough, effectively. He's saying, get Brexit back on track again, lower taxes, get rid of this national insurance rise in April, get a grip on immigration, give people more choice. And he also isn't keen on the gold net zero green agenda. You know, that's the kind of Tory that we want leading the country. Well, to be honest, um, I've tweeted out that uh, his agenda sounds just like my agenda yeah. so maybe maybe he should join reform because that is the reality of what i think most people in this country want mm. and that's how you deliver a really successful well-run well-managed country yeah. and you're right he is becoming a significant figure and following his resignation he hasn't just sort of slunk away mm. into the shallows shadows he's actually become ever more vocal both uh, in the media in terms of the print but also uh, talking to broadcast stations. Yeah. And I think that he is going to continue to bang a drum. And the question is, obviously, he's a peer, so he couldn't stand should there be a vacancy right. for the office of prime minister. But the question is, who's he aligning himself mm. with, if anybody? Or yes. is he just putting a marker is down there? Is he speaking there? for a group of Tory MPs? Is he, is I he, think he speaking might for be. a group? He might be. Is he speaking for one of the leading candidates if there was a vacancy? Mm. Uh, hard to know, but he is going to be really significant over I the think coming so. weeks and months. Because let's put it this way, right? Uh, and you guys can call me up and tell me, if you want, uh, why you're doing what you're doing. But to say, let him get on with the job, leave it all behind, forget about Partygate, well, that's all fine, but let him get on with what job exactly? What exactly is uh, the Prime Minister, whose name shall not be mentioned on this show, uh, what is he doing? And what is he about to do? What is his plan? Does he have a plan? I don't think he does. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. Richard Tice is here. We'll take your calls. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Now, do remember, please, when you do come on, lots of you are calling up now because you want to talk to me, and quite rightly so, uh, because this is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, the only place where you get common sense. You're not allowed to mention his name, okay? Don't mention it. Just don't say it. Richard Tice got away with it only because he stopped himself from saying the last name. So he was only half uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the dugout. Anyway, listen, Richard, um, looking forward to your show this weekend. You won't be uh, surprised to see that uh, in one of the papers today, uh, some of the civil servants who are making an absolute fortune um, are qu it's quite remarkable how much Sarah Healy, Permanent Secretary of the Culture Department, um, apparently has been having a great time. Uh, she, in the summer, she you know she wasn't able to work in the office. She's working from home, but she was able to go to an awful lot of events. Apparently, when she wasn't sitting on her peloton, this is the lady yeah. who who actually said that working from home was great because when you had a little bit of spare time, you could sit on your multi-thousand-pound peloton right. with your monthly subscription. Although people keep falling off those recently, don't they? It's, well, it's becoming uh, quite a dangerous activity. Though. I don't know about that, but what we do know is that uh, she actually had a a very good summer uh. last year with lots of. Uh, Lots of hospitality from various people. She obviously likes football. She, she went got, she to England, at least game. two of the uh, the big European games, England v the Czech Republic. Uh, that was in, uh, in in late June, and then right. she went to the uh, the German game. Right, uh, enjoying uh, various people's hospitality. I mean, as don't well they as... have to declare all that and say who actually? Well, that's why we know them. about it because it's all being declared. So, right. in fairness, that's. That's yeah, but good who, who actually got her the it, tickets though? That's why well, I'm not it, seeing. Well, uh, it, it, it it says in respect of some of it, she had. Lunch with a philanthropist and concert tickets and an overnight stay by <laughs> David Ross. I mean, you know, what's... I mean, really, these people... It, you sort of wonder about the productivity huh. going on in that if you just want a simple thing like your passport to be renewed or to try and get a driving test 
or a driving license. Good luck with that. I yeah, mean, yeah. it's months, not weeks. Right. You know, in terms of the, and also the actual the cost targets. Of it now. The cost of how of everything that you have to now do, which these people don't presumably pay anything for. They've got a, a story on the front page of the Daily Mail today. 600 Whitehall fat cats paid over £150,000. The guy that runs um, HS2, which let's re- remind ourselves is a, a railway line that hasn't actually started yet and won't start probably until after I'm dead <laughs> at some point in the 2045 or something, right? Mark Thurston, chief executive, £625,000 a year. Andrew Haynes, chief executive, Network Rail, £590,000. Jeremy Westlake, chief financial officer, Network Rail, 420000 I mean... The trains don't even run because they haven't got drivers. It sounds like it sounds like basically anything to do with the railways. Mm. You're going to get a very large salary, and lots of uh, listeners may start applying because yeah. it's clearly the place to be. It's incredible, uh, isn't it? I mean, the, 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 definitely, <clears throat> it seems as though Network Rail seems to be paying an awful lot of money out. Number seven, John Housel, Net- Southern Network Rail, three hundred thirty-five thousand. Nicholas King, Special Projects Director, Network Rail, three hundred thirty-five thousand. I mean, it's no wonder uh, the railways are creaking uh, and can't actually run properly because all these people are being paid an absolute bleeding fortune. Loads of them on three hundred thirty-five thousand. All joint seventh, right? Tim Shoveler. You can you can say that again. <laughs> Three hundred thirty-five thousand. What a perfect name for someone who works with the railways. That's North Shoveler. Western Central Network Rail, uh, Wales and Western Network Rail. Michelle Handforth. Three hundred thirty-five thousand. Alexander Hines, Scotland Network Rail. I mean, it's a license to print money. This, but maybe it? maybe Mike, the trains are are always on time. That rather like the Swiss railways, you can set your watch by how, how perfectly timed mm. they all arrive and depart. I think the the big issue is, of course, it's not just the salaries, but all, all the knock-on costs, the cost yeah. of the pensions, right. the NI, the they office space that they don't occupy kind of because they're working. Well, I think people don't mind paying for good performance, for yeah. good outcomes, for, for prompt uh, trains, trains arriving are on time. But let's, let's just remember Southern Rail, yeah. uh, Southern Railways, they didn't operate for the first <laughs> two weeks of this year. Oh, yeah. If you like to go to Victoria, sorry, we're not going there. No chance. No. Uh, just get off at Croydon and walk. I think it really is, you know, it's it's really serious. You take HS2, the budget's soared yeah. to, I mean, it's in the hundreds of billions of now. Right. Um, and they just recently, of course, uh, they actually cut the, the one bit of it that, in my view, was possibly justifiable, which was the bit between Birmingham and Leeds. No, they, they essentially scrapped that in order to try and cover up the huge cost overruns from the main bit from London to Manchester, which, as you say, won't actually start until... Uh, in the 2030s. Yeah. And all it's going to do is get you to London 20 minutes quicker than it did before, but you'll be going into like Wormwood Scrubs, so it'll take you another half an hour to get into central London. So actually, it's not even giving you any advantage whatsoever. I mean, I'm quite keen, actually, that the railway that's been built under London, called yeah. Crossrail, mm. that many people seem to have forgotten about, because uh, it's, it's, it's three years late and counting. Right. Um, 20, another triumph. 20 billion quid <laughs> in, the, in the tunnels... And no indication as to whether, uh, as to whether and when it's going to to open. I've we never were, seen we were told country. it was supposed to be this this April, but right. or, I mean, have you ever seen a country so useless at actually building anything? I mean, they took them years to build the Millennium Dome before they worked out that it wasn't a very good idea, and then they suddenly went, "Oh, I know, we'll turn it into a, a sort of a music theatre, and you can put concerts on there." Down by um, Blackfriars Bridge, they've been doing something now for about, I think, by my reckoning, fifteen years. Apparently, it's something to do with the sewage system. Oh, yes. Well, there is but the whole replacement a, you know, of the London Because, I mean, I know London this is going to sound a little bit uh, sort of slightly disingenuous, but sitting at the Oxo Tower, as I do from time to time, <laughs> looking out on... There doesn't seem to be any progress being made. They've had this kind of, you know, plinth sitting in the middle of the Thames 
for the same amount of time and nothing's changing. It doesn't look like they're doing anything, but they've been there for literally 10 or 15 years. I think... Um, what are they doing? Well, it's a very good question. Um, all down the Thames, <laughs> there are huge construction yeah. sites. They are building this, this massive new sewer uh, for essentially for the next 100 years. But you're right, in terms Can of the public... Can you network rail executives into it? <laughs> you know, just flush them down the, down the river. In terms of... In terms of actually the public sector delivering on some, you know, some proper big infrastructure uh, to keep the country moving quicker, faster, I just don't think that we're getting it done. And it's just not good enough to have a hole under London that costs 20 billion quid and no indication when it's going to... When it's, when it's going to start, no. when it's going to run, I when mean, it's going to move people while around. we're trying to put some pipes underneath the river, um, you know, which is seemingly taking you know, the, till the end of Forever. time. You know, China's built about 55 airports, 25 new coal-fired power stations, and they're taking over Afghanistan. Huh? It's Well, exactly. And, you know, here we are sort of uh, worrying about, uh, you know, too many green issues yeah. when actually just the cost of living, the, co- the cost of all this stuff right. is, I think it's just really, it's just mushrooming beyond belief. Yeah. I mean, I went to buy a couple of pairs of glasses this week, right? I thought I was going to take out a mortgage. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's literally twice the, the fee that I paid last time, which was about two or three years ago. And you wonder, what is it that's driving all this this huge yeah. increase in costs? Uh, sometimes it's hard to know. But we just know, back to the public sector, we've got these people on these huge salaries, these huge extra benefits. As I say, I don't mind if actually the performance and the productivity is brilliant. If you knew you could get a passport turned around within a week or two, then you might say, fine, I'm happy to pay for it. Likewise, if, if you want a, a, the driving licence renewed, simple stuff that, that enables people to live their lives. If you want the government to make some prompt decisions on cutting taxes, then uh, fine. But, but that's just not yeah. happening in any walk of the public sector, and it's just not good enough. No, and the civil service needs reform. The civil service was supposed to be being reformed by um, old Dominic Cummings, who now seems to have a slightly different agenda. Um, but it can't go on like this. I mean, literally, ridiculous. I mean, aside from Richard Moriarty, who's with the Civil Aviation Authority, and David Peaty, uh, who's on 400 grand from the Nuclear Decommissioning Authority, whatever that is, um, the rest of the top sort of 10 earners are all working for the railways. Uh, and presumably working from home, based on uh, other other evidence that came out this week, that, that about 5% of the various government departments are actually turning yeah. up to their office every day. Right. You, and you, you could have say, to what, say, I mean, as, as, as a sort of hoary old phrase that it is, Britain is actually broken. It's not working at all. I think the, much of the private sector is, is actually working, and there is some, some better economic data out there, even though it's obviously recovering from a real low point. I think the private sector is beginning to buzz, is beginning to work uh, and drive forward with some, some, some robust growth figures over the next 12 months, hopefully. But I think there are massive questions about the ability of the public sector to perform. Mm. And it's just got not good enough. I think we, we, need, we need them back in the office. Mm. And we've got to put some proper delivery targets. Yeah, absolutely right. Richard Tice is here. We're, we're right out of time, I'm afraid. But Sunday at 10 o'clock... Uh, be there for Tice Talk. It will be fascinating. It will be great. Uh, it might even be uh, one of those t- situations where you hear some news about the man whose name we do not say today. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 
Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio as we prepare to go into yet another weekend without knowing whether the Prime Minister is indeed staying or going. Uh, we're not going to mention his name today, of course, because until there is some news that comes out uh, from Whitehall, from Downing Street, from the police, from the Met, as it were, uh, we're not really interested. There is no news. It's all going on exactly the same as it was going on yesterday. Uh, you will tune into other broadcast networks and find that they're still talking about it ad nauseam. When's the report coming out? Who will it name? What will it say? Could it be damaging? Could it save somebody? Could it not save somebody? Could it be terrible? Could it be great? Could it be wonderful? Could it be long? Could it be redacted? Could it be full of blank pages? Could it be that actually it won't come out ever at all? Uh, we're hearing now that the police have basically said, look, we don't want you to mention any parties because, quite frankly, that might upset our investigation into the parties, even though there was a time when we didn't want to investigate the parties because there was no evidence there actually were any parties. I mean, it's hard to keep up, isn't it? An awful lot of you have said, move on, forget about it, don't worry about it, nobody cares. Well, it's quite an important story, and I'll tell you for why. The importance of the story is not just about the parties, not the wine, not the cheese, not the swing, not the cake, none of that. But it's all about whether we were forced to do things which the government didn't believe in. And if they didn't believe in them, why didn't they believe in them? And if they didn't believe in them, why did they make us do them? And if they weren't worth doing, why were we doing them? Those are important questions, I'm afraid. And if you've lost loved ones and if you've lost businesses and if you've lost a job as a result of doing the things that they told you to do, I'd say you'd be pretty annoyed, wouldn't you? 0344 499 1000. The result of all of it, of course, uh, is that we are now in a new economy. We're going to talk to Christopher Snowden coming up from the Institute of Economic Affairs. And he's going to tell us why he thinks that it's very dangerous for the government to continue to try and borrow their way out of this and to tax their way out of it as well. Rishi Sunak is planning to lob you a 1.25 uh, insurance, a national insurance tax hike coming in April. He's, of course, being told that we don't want that, and Boris Johnson may cancel it. It may well be. Uh, oh, no, I've said his name. <gasps> Sorry. Maybe we can dump that. Um, we'll take your calls, of course, as well. 0344 499 1000. We'll also talk about the cost of inflation, because everything... Everything is going up in price. I bought some glasses this week and I could not believe how much they charge me. Even if you go and buy a lovely little chipolata uh, or a packet of chipolatas, you can't actually afford them anymore. I don't know how people are living. I don't know how people are paying their energy prices. We'll ask Christopher about all of that. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Uh, also, of course, coming up and in a little while, uh, we will take loads of your calls. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. This is the fastest growing radio station on the planet. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, if you told me that we were going to have inflation levels rising up above 5% and that actually we'd be going back to the 90s, you might not remember 1992. I can't remember how expensive things were then. But certainly, if you remember the back end of the sort of uh, 80s and you talk about equity and housing and you talk about mortgages and, uh, and relief and interest rates going up through the roof and people couldn't actually afford to pay their own mortgages, that was a scary time. Let's talk to Christopher Snowden, who is head of lifestyle economics uh, at the Institute of Economic Affairs. Christopher, a very, very good uh, morning to you. Morning. So, I mean... I wonder whether 5.4%, which is what we're told is the inflation rate, is way underestimating the actual cost of living price rising uh, that we're, we're, we're going through. Because um, I don't particularly want to um, mention Jack Monroe in this conversation. But, you know, if you do look at the price of individual items, they do seem to have risen a lot more than 5%. Yeah, particularly um, the cheaper items that people on low incomes buy. This is a good point made by Jack Monroe that's mm. now been accepted by the Office of National Statistics, and they're going to change their methodology. 
as a result. There's always debate about exactly what the rate of inflation is. One of the measures says 7%, the other says just over 5%. Yeah. Either way, it's high. It's uh, obviously a lot higher than interest rates. I don't think it's particularly surprising. I did actually predict but by the end of last year, we'd get to 4 or 5%. Um, the only question is whether this is temporary or um, you know, long-term. And a, a lot will depend really on people's wage demands. People are quite entitled to expect at least a 5% uh, salary increase, of course, because their, their salaries need to keep up with the cost of living. But if that happens, how do the businesses pay for the higher wages? Well, they've got to put the prices up. And if the prices up, then people demand higher wages. And this is the, the spiral we got into in the 1970s. Yeah, absolutely right. And I mean, what the government is proposing in order to try and get us out of this doesn't seem to be terribly substantial. You know, I'm not hearing anything really coming from Rishi Sunak about how they're going to try and control um, the inflationary spiral, how they're going to control the huge rise in energy costs that people are having to face and what they're actually going to do to set everything right. Well, it's the Bank of England's job to control inflation, of course. Its primary target is keeping inflation um, around 2%. And it's not, it hasn't taken this seriously um, for quite some time now. And it's, it's had a very, very small rise in interest rates. Raising interest rates, of course, is the main way that the Bank of England tries to control inflation. It's not doing very much with interest rates. It's continuing to print money, quantitative easing, for the government to borrow. Mm. Last month, the government spent over £8 billion just on servicing the debt. The debt is well over tr £2 trillion pounds and has gone up obviously massively yeah. since the pandemic began um so we, this is not cheap money the big myth about borrowing uh, or printing in, in reality but either way is that it's cheap it can be cheap it, it can be cheap for a while but as inflation goes up and then interest rates go up um it, it gets out of control eight mm. billion pounds is a huge amount Think yes. what we could do with that kind of money and presumably um it's more difficult for the bank of england to, to, to control um, the price of inflation if the government continues to borrow that kind of money. I mean, is the Bank of England not in some way complicit in that borrowing? Uh, I think possibly so. I mean, it, it, in some ways it helps the government if they can inflate away the, the national debt. Inflation is really a, a tax in many respects. It's probably the stealthiest of all stealth taxes um, because people don't really notice it so much but mm. it, it's it does genuinely put a burden on people um the bank of england has greatly underestimated how high inflation was going to go as recently as last may it still thought it wasn't going to exceed two percent um for, for several years right. and when it did exceed their target they did very little about it so it's not great to be having low interest rates and continued borrowing on the other hand i think the bank of england understands that things like gas prices you don't really control by putting interest rates up and if you put interest rates up then people's mortgages go up and there's a whole generation of people who are used to very low mortgage payments and obviously putting people's mortgages up also hits them in terms of the cost of living so it's a very very difficult situation there is no solution to it we've got ourselves into this because of rampant money printing over a period of many years and now i'm afraid we're going to pay the price one way or the other that's the trouble isn't it and because people are not really prepared for that i mean you may not be uh, old enough to remember the the days of, of ridiculously high interest rates where people literally couldn't afford to pay their own mortgages and they had um you know equity failings with their house being worth less uh, than uh, than they were actually paying the mortgage to um is there a danger that we get back to that? Is there a danger that people who are not used to seeing these kind of ridiculously high prices will suddenly be shocked when it when it happens? Well, I think even if interest rates return to a historical norm, people are going to get a, a big shock. You know, people who bought a house in the last 15 years, pretty much, yeah. um, have had very, very low interest rates, and they're used to that. So even interest rates of 2 or 3%, which are not particularly high by no. historical standards, would really hit a lot of people um, 
pretty pretty hard. I think all we can do really is hope that this is transitory. Mm. Um, it's not just printing money. Don't get me wrong. By by no means is quantitative easing the only reason we've got high inflation. We've got high inflation around the world. Gas prices there isn't much we can do about. We've got lots of um, we've had lots of shortages because of COVID for various reasons. Price of shipping's gone up. A lot of these things should be temporary. Um, but we can only really keep our fingers crossed um, that we, we might be at, at the peak of this. I honestly don't know, and I wouldn't like to predict. No, quite. It's a very dangerous game, all that. But, I mean, as far as what monetary policy should be emanating from the Treasury, and I know this is always a difficult question to ask guys like yourself, Christopher, but, I mean, what would you suggest to them that they should be doing that they're maybe not doing? I think they need to stop with the uh, stop with the money printing, but to do that, the government needs to get its books in order. Mm. And it's not really showing much sign of it. They borrowed a little bit less than they expected in December. It was still borrowed, I think, something like 16 billion pounds ago. We're just in a, a new era of incredible government borrowing, yes. really, when 16 billion pounds in one month is considered to be um, you know, better than expected. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's, as I say, it's a very, very um, difficult position to be in. The, yeah. the government is not getting its books in order. Instead, in fact, the government is spending on all sorts of other things. Yeah. And I don't know how you stop that. And we used the to, public, we, as always, wants lower taxes and more public yes. spending. And we, and, always used to, and we always used to argue about whether or not we were paying off the debt that the country has, has got itself into, or just the interest on that debt. I'm assuming now the debt is so huge that we're not even making a dent in it, are we? Nobody, no government has come close to paying off any of the debt for 20 years now. The last time the government ran a surplus was in 2001. Right. I don't think there's very much prospects of any government, even for one year, running a surplus in my lifetime. Now. No. And finally, because I know you've got to run, um, do you think some of this is also down to a bit of opportunism by some retailers and some manufacturers as well who are just basically going, well, I'll tell you what, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Nobody's really sure exactly what's going on. Uh, let's just put the price of everything up. There's very little evidence of that. I mean, if they had that kind of market power, they would do it all the time, you know, mm. and they put price stuff even more. This has been the excuse some people have used in America. Some of the people who are all in favour of money printing have said, oh, well, there's only inflation because these greedy companies are putting the prices up. If they had that kind of market power, they'd do it all the time. They don't. It's, you know, all these markets are pretty competitive. Mm. Um, so there's no reason to think that they are price gouging, as mm. Americans would say. So, I mean, as if anybody could save any money, is it a good time to do that if you can, just to kind of bolster yourself for the onslaught of, uh, of everything getting a lot more expensive? Well, the question is, where do you put it if you've got savings? There's yeah. no point putting it in a bank. There hasn't been any point putting it in a bank for nearly 15 years now. Um, and so when you've got inflation at five or six percent, it becomes quite tricky to know where to put it um, so that you don't actually see it eaten away by inflation. It's another yeah. of big problems, of course, with inflation. Savers end up paying. That's the, that's the key to right. the whole problem with inflation. That's why it's so stealthy, because savers end up paying in a very subtle way. Hmm. Very dangerous as well for pensioners, I dare say, as well. Christopher, thank you very much indeed. Christopher Stone, Head of Lifestyle Economics at the Free Market Think Tank, the Institute of Economic Affairs. Now... You might tell me um, that you can't afford to pay for the kinds of things that you used to be able to afford to buy this time last year. You might tell me that you've had to cut corners, that you've had to stop buying things when you go to the supermarket, that you haven't bought a new suit or you haven't bought a new car or you certainly haven't thought about moving house or you have thought about moving house because selling your house is maybe the only way to actually make any money at all. But if you're on a fixed income, it must be pretty difficult right now. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Uh, don't forget, you can tweet us, of course, at Talk Radio, at IROMG as well. Text us at 87222. Uh, we're talking about the man who cannot be named. Uh, we're talking about the news that cannot be given. Uh, we're also talking, of course, about the highway code coming up in a little while as well, because tomorrow it kicks in. So if you're a driver of any kind of vehicle and not a bike, 
you are going to be a second-class citizen as of tomorrow. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's talk to Leo Curse about uh, what the hell is going on. Leo, very good afternoon to you. Hi, Mike. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. Now, you know, I don't think you and I have had a conversation before, which is very remiss of me because I've been watching your work for a long time and I'm a great admirer of it. Um, and, you know, those of us in the in the battle against the wokists, uh, you know, we ought to stick together, really. But um, we won't agree on everything. But I'll tell you what, when I hold up a picture of Minnie Mouse, who on this side is wearing what can only be described as an extremely provocative outfit uh, of a dress and a bow in her hair, which, you know, it's doing things to me that I can't describe. Now that thankfully they've managed to cover her up now, she looks like she now lives in North Korea uh, she's wearing a sort of jumpsuit uh, so that you can't see any of those nasty parts of her body that might inflame you. I mean, yeah, isn't it? Isn't well, it insane, Mike? I mean, uh, she doesn't quite look like she lo- lives in North Korea because she looks quite well fed. <laughs> but isn't it insane that, you know, that we're having to cover up cartoon characters now? I it's know. almost like the Taliban. It really this is. is. the Taliban bringing, the, the cultural revolution. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like all... the old Victorians, isn't it? They used to put, uh, used to put sort of curtains around tables so you couldn't see the table legs in case it <laughs> got me yeah. too excited. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's the problem. If you tell if you tell men not to masturbate, then they're going to get so horny they get turned on by table legs yeah. and M and M's and Minnie Mouse. Right? Uh, no, I think I think it's uh, I think it's a real shame. Well, Minnie Mouse is obviously not a sexualized character. Wouldn't have um, thought so. Je- Jessica Rabbit, on the other hand. Well, uh, now you're talking pure. Yeah. Pure sex, but um, but yeah, Minnie Mouse absolutely not a sexualized character. So it seems to be completely unnecessary. And to me, it shows that uh, you know the wokeists who did it are really, you know, are thinking things that, uh, that normal people aren't thinking. Nobody's looking at Minnie Mouse and thinking, for you no. know what I mean? Well, and if they are, they probably should be in some kind of secure unit, you know. But we've yeah. got Stella McCartney. Um, I mean, they're both Disneyland Paris have put a tweet out boasting that Stella McCartney has designed her very first pantsuit, and it's gorgeous. Well, you know, what a waste of money. I mean, I could have done that for her. Why do you need Stella McCartney, for heaven's sake? <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, and also pantsuits. They're they're uh, they're the burden of of the left. Uh, Hillary Clinton. I think she would have she would have been elected if she hadn't constantly worn pantsuits. Yes, or fallen down fallen down while she was trying to get into a van. <laughs> that didn't help her either. <laughs> but I mean, it is mad, isn't it? I mean, we've got the story in the front of the Sun today, um, and you because you take a different line on a lot of comedy. You know, I was saying the other day, there's nobody when when. Um, uh, when Barry Barry Fryer died yesterday, um, Cryer. In, Cryer, sorry, um, there was no um, there was no sort of modern day comedians coming out and saying, "Oh, he was my inspiration," because you know he was genuinely a funny guy. He was actually able to yeah. write stuff for Kenny Everett. He was able to write stuff for Walker and Wise. He was never the focal point of anything, but he was yeah. genuinely quite funny. Most of the comedians now are just not very funny, are they? Yeah, I mean, well, I, th- I think that's that's kind of unfair. There's a lot of funny comedians out there, but they don't get airtime well, on yes. the BBC. They don't get airtime on the, the main channels. They're really suppressed by the industry. And all the huge, you know, global comedians at the moment, they're, they're all American. Yeah. So you've got Bill Burr, Chris Rock. Uh, people, people like that are, are straddling the globe and selling millions and millions and millions of tickets mm. and, you know, getting huge, huge audiences on Netflix. But in the UK, for some reason, the industry thinks all we want to hear is real wishy-washy, namby-pamby, uh, self-deprecating yeah. comedy instead of the instead of the iconoclastic, you know, stadium strutting mm. stuff that comes out of America. Yeah, and um, yeah, any, anybody that doesn't toe the woke line is uh, is called, and obviously comedians should be questioning everything. They should be questioning power and authority. Yeah, and at the moment, the woke left have the cultural power and authority. They they control all the institutions, the BBC, most newspapers. Uh, the pretty much entirety of BBC comedy output is uh, is left wing. Uh, of all the comedians who who openly have a political uh, political position, ninety nine percent are left wing. Yes, and one percent are Jeff Norcott. There's like a huge. Right. And it's very, I mean, they're all very happy to make fun of uh, Donald Trump and and the man who's not being named on my show today, who happens to be the prime minister. Uh, I've decided to ban his name just for the hell of it. Um, But I watched, as you may have seen my little clip about concrete earlier in the year, last year. um, And that appeared on almost every comedy show. Have I got news for you? It was on Frankie Boyle's show. It was on uh, the big fat quiz of the year. It was on the last leg. None of them to me, actually made it any funnier than it already was. They just didn't get it. <laughs> yeah. And because I worked for Talk Radio, they thought, oh, this is a good guy to target because he's obviously stupid, he's thick, he's a Brexiteer, he's an idiot, he's probably racist, he's probably a bigot. Yeah. And it just, I mean, I was hoping that they yeah. were going to make fun of me in a much cleverer way, but they didn't do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's that's the thing. It's, it's very hard. People talk about punching up and punching down. Yeah. Uh, but woke culture never realises that they're the ones that are punching down. They're, they're the elites. They're the highly educated rich people who have enough time to sit around and ponder about things like pronouns and, and what, you know, all these infinite numbers of genders and sexualities oh. and identities and intersectionalities and read all these big tracts of university text that apparently we, we all need to read to become good yes. people. So they're, they're the elites. They're the elite. And they, they've developed, you know, wokeism is really just a sort of, it's a new class system. It's, a, it's an etiquette system that you have to obey or you're or you're cast out from the court. Yeah. So I mean, you really mentioned uh, you rich. mentioned university tracks there. I mean, universities now are some of the worst places. I mean, when I was at university, we used to see people like John Cooper Clark and you know really really funny you know alternative comedians who were kind of emerging out of the punk rock era. You know, that's how old yeah. I am. Um, but I presume for you, the university is the last place you go now. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a real shame. I think um, it's it's a class thing. You know, comedy used to be a working class pursuit, and uh, you know people would start off in the working men's yeah. clubs. 
Uh, and, and going to un doing university tours, you know, used to be, you talked to, to some older comedians, they'd love doing it because students were up for anything. They wanted it wild and uh, confrontational and abrasive. And now, of course, the student, the student gigs have completely changed. Mm. They make you sign uh, waivers, uh, making sure you're not going to mention certain topics. <laughs> so you're so constricted as a comedian because you know that anybody who goes to the length of making you sign a waiver, make, making you sign a performance agreement, is going to be watching you to get offended, specifically to get offended, because people want to get offended. The, the, the way they can get social credit, the way they can get social kudos, is by getting offended at some imaginary racism or homophobia or transphobia that they, that they see. So people come, there's even a, there's a complaint email sent to a comedy club that I perform at, one of, one of the ones that still books me. So I, I did a show there in July, my solo show, you know, so people were just coming to see see my solo show. They right. were coming to see a, a mixed random bill. It was my specific solo show and I performed there in October. Somebody, after the October show, somebody wrote an email to the comedy club saying, uh, I came to see Leo's show in July and it was horrific and offensive. And I came <laughs> back to see it again in October <laughs> and it was still horrific and offensive. Can you ban him, please? Oh and it's my like, God. Why don't you just stop coming to see, yeah. to see my show? There's also, comedians I, you mean, can watch. I mean, have these people got no sense of perspective? You know, calling a comedy show horrific. I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable. It's ridiculous. I mean, you know, lots of things are horrific. Comedy isn't really yeah. horrific yeah uh, you know yeah, get a fun. grip of yourself i mean i'm looking at a story today university of chester putting a trigger yeah. warning on harry potter and the philosopher's stone saying that oh my God. studying the jk rowling book can lead to difficult conversations about gender race sexuality class and identity i oh mean i'm God. sorry i don't look at dumbledore and wonder whether he's wearing ladies underwear underneath what his clothes i mean i just don't i don't care what dumbledore yeah. wears you know you just hope it's there i do and you get on with your day i do but you know it's so ridiculous it's so ridiculous and also you know saying like oh trigger warning this this book could lead to conversations yeah maybe we should be having some conversations yeah, maybe these idea, conversations shouldn't be stifled Him. i think all all genuinely progressive <laughs> ideas throughout human history all all of them like the so the women's rights lgbtq right. rights civil rights all these ideas were hugely offensive to swathes of the population. Should we have not had those conversations? Like, no, obviously we needed to have those conversations. Some people needed to be upset. Mm. We needed to progress society. So it seems bizarre to me that uh, people who call themselves progressives now think that, you know, we shouldn't be having conversations. We've somehow reached, you know, this uh, this absolute, you know, apex of, uh, of, of ideology yes. and opinion that, that can't be changed. Well, it's and like, I seem to remember, there was a story a, a little while back, and I think it was a uh, I think it was Penguin, I think, in Canada, who were yeah. due to release Jordan Peterson's new book, um, which obviously will make them a bucket load of money. But all the yeah. people who worked there uh, asked for a meeting, a mass sort of town hall type meeting, to say they weren't comfortable with him being published by the, by the book publisher. And you kind of yeah. go... Well, you people aren't important, right? He's important. Yeah. He's an author. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. writes a book that millions of people are going to read. You just work in the <laughs> mail room of Penguin. Yeah. Shut up uh, or leave, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And also be uncomfortable. It's yeah. fine to be uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, you, you don't have to constantly. Not, not everything is made specifically for you. No. You can, you know, you can like read a different book. You can read something that's made for you. You can read something you like. There's plenty of people who want to read Jordan Peterson. Uh, and you know, they should be allowed to read it. It's I not know. gonna, it's I not mean, gonna set anybody's hair on fire. I mean, I try really hard, Leo. I don't know about you. I try really hard not to go on about this a lot because you you end up sort of becoming a slight parody of yourself. Going, I'm just angry about everything. I'm not really angry about. It. I just think it's really stupid, and I can't yeah, leave yeah, this one yeah. alone. You know. 
Yeah, yeah. And also, I mean, it's it's the sort of death by a thousand cuts. Like yeah. we look at all these little things and you know, we think, oh, this is you know, this is ridiculous. But it it's a tsunami of cultural change. It's like the Chinese Cultural Revolution. Yeah. And that didn't end too well. Uh, and you know, I, I can see, I can see this. You know, we don't know where we're, we're heading. We're already destroying people's lives and livelihoods. So right. look at look at Lawrence Fox. He was completely he had a yeah, very happy, very very successful acting career. Uh, and, and then, then he you went know, on he, Question Time. Went on Question Time, expressed an opinion that is pretty reasonable and shared by a lot of people around the country, and should be given representation and should be able to ask and argue, argued against. Mm. And you know, people can say this is why you're wrong and explain it to him. Instead, he's he's just cancelled. His yeah. livelihood is taken away from him, and I think that's absolutely disgusting to destroy people's livelihoods. So then everyone else is walking around under this climate of fear with yeah. Damocles' sword of cancellation hanging over them. It's I, I think it's a, it's a terrible thing yeah. to be in society. We it need really to we is. need to have free free and open conversations. Give yourself not hide a, what we think. Yeah, exactly right. Give yourself a plug before you go, Leo. What, what are you doing uh, next? What where can people see you? Uh, I'm headlining in Beckenham tonight, but uh, Beckenham. if you want to see me, go, go to my YouTube channel. So yeah. I've got a YouTube channel, and it's great that you know all the comedy that's put out by the BBC is so terrible and so woke, <laughs> because it means people go to my YouTube channel instead Excellent. to see some really funny stuff. So Tremendous. yeah. <laughs> all right, we'll stick Leo Curse into the old Google machine and find his uh, YouTube channel, or go and see him in Beckenham uh, tonight, which is in South London, of course, uh, the home uh, of David Bowie, believe it or not. Uh, this is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Quickly, uh, let's go to Mark in Suffolk. Hi, Mark. Hi. Hello. Hey, how Hi. you doing? You're an HGV oh. driver. Well, no, I run trucks. I've got an HGV license. Okay. Um, coming back to you on your uh, cyclist issue, or the cyclist issue. Um, you know, the industry at the present moment is screaming out for drivers, and we're constantly under a barrage of assaults from all directions when when the driver is driving down the road with an HGV. Can I just give you a scenario? If you pull up to a junction and you've got a forty foot container on with a laden weight of 30 tonnes, right. and you have to turn left, you have to make all sorts of assumptions that you're going to be okay to get around there. Mm. Now, the power-to-weight ratio doesn't allow you to pull away or move fast. Right. But the time you've got to that blind part on the corner, you can have five or six cyclists up you, yeah. blaming you for being in their way and making the assumption that you're now in the wrong. Right. Now, the industry's crying out for drivers. We don't want to go into the towns and the cities, but we have to because that's where the delivery points are. Right. And if you go in there and you're already guilty by association or... Just by driving one, truck, yeah. Just by driving, you, what is the point of having to try and recruit drivers when they're going to be already up against it before they start? Yeah. I know. It's an absolute mad idea. I can't imagine. Well, I can imagine because we know exactly who came up with all these ideas. It was Chris Boardman and the cycling lobby. You know, they didn't bother asking people like yourself or people like me who actually drive rather large vehicles and could actually injure a cyclist if they're doing something that we can't see them doing. And we've already put cameras and warning sensors on all our trucks yeah. with regards to getting in and out of London. We've all then now been penalised again because of the congestion charges. Mm. We've now got the emission charges and the no-go zones coming up in Bath, yeah. Birmingham, Manchester and London. Unbelievable. All having to pay excessive charges. And then we're in the wrong because we're trying to make a delivery because four or five cyclists or one will then put you to the rack that you're in the wrong because you're yeah. turned and not done it quick enough. Unbelievable. It's awful. Mark, listen, great call. Thank you very much indeed for that information. Who in their right mind would want to drive in a city under those circumstances? But maybe that's their point. They want you to stop. They don't want deliveries. Well, good luck 
getting your food. Good luck getting whatever it is that you want to buy from a supermarket if you don't let uh, HGV drivers into the city. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.